Hello and welcome to Tabletop Treasures, your podcast about everything tabletop. We talk about lots of random stuff, uh, such as what's coming out next, what's the hottest tabletop, uh, etiquette and everything. I'm Kieran. I'm Ryan. And today we've got kind of a special episode for everybody. Uh, so this last weekend, uh, me and Ryan got to attend Avcon, which is anime and video convention. So uh, it's something that happens in uh, Adelaide, South Australia, once every year around July. It hasn't happened for like, I don't know, like last four years or something. And this is the first year back after the dark times. Yeah, it's so, good to be back. It was. I think it was not as big as it used to be, but maybe they need like a year to sort of push everything back up because PAX last year felt the same. Yeah. Because I, went, I went to PAX last year. And it's new management, as I understand it. So it's coming to terms I think with that. Some as well, of the I'm same sure. old people, but a lot of new people. So, but we're not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about what we saw, which is we went to the tabletop area. Um, we'll go over a list of the things we saw. So we saw something called Dungeon World, which isn't its official name. They don't have a name yet. They're still working on it. Uh, but that's sort of their project code name. Uh, they did do a Kickstarter for this big map thing. Um, we played this kind of board game, kind of art thing called Floodlands. That was really cool. Um, we what what else did we do? We did something called Fragged Empire, which is a kind of like a traditional tabletop RPG, and it wasn't a D twenty system. It was yeah D sixes, um, lots of custom rules. I actually kind of like that. Yeah, cool. And then we looked system. at uh, there was an artist there called Anthony Christo who has this thing called Luminous Ages, and inside that he's got uh, I think it's the Bayzai or the Bailey. I can't remember which what it is. Uh, I will link it in, in the end though, uh, in the in the description. And that's like lots of mythical creatures uh, put into like a D&D five E um, setting book expansion book, however you want to call it. So we we saw a lot of things. So yeah, uh, what, what was your opinion? Is that the first time you've done? It's my first time going to the tabletop section of Avcon. Yeah, it's my first time doing anything more than a walkthrough, like actually sitting down at tables and asking people about their creations. Yeah, doing um, it. Yeah, <laughs> I think every year now. I think um, it's probably it's interesting because in that gap where it wasn't running is the gap that, I mean, I've always liked tabletop, but that's probably the exact time period where I started getting really into this sort of thing. So it's nice to take a step, you know, into the, into the public community, you know, because it is such a huge community and such a varied community and see what's going on there and seeing it like the passion was what stood out to me. Everyone is so passionate about what they're making and you love to see it. I think yeah, everyone was very passionate, and the thing I realized, like, oh, everyone's such a better GM than me. <laughs> oh, I don't know about that. You've been a pretty good GM in my experience, but they are very talented. <laughs> I'll tell you, is that a good segue into Dungeon Dungeon World? Just because he was exemplary, I think. That was a lot of fun. Ah, uh, yeah. So, uh, Bannister Nichols, I believe is his full name, mm-hmm. um, he runs something that's he doesn't he he has the rights to it in australia it's called dungeon world um is his like project name for it he he hasn't got all the socials out for anything or for it yet so it's kind of hard for us to link to it but 
we we definitely want to talk about it. It was amazing. Oh, absolutely. It's hard to even refer to it properly. <laughs> it is kind of amorphous in that sense, but it um, is a is a very interesting project. It's kind of that actually kind of the project is like that in general because it was kind of it was kind of doing its own West Marches thing separate to all of that occurring. Um, he has a very interesting origin story. This guy, I think. Yeah, his world, his life is like tabletop RPG and game yeah. mastering. Mm-hmm. And I guess we should say the biggest feature of that is um, he runs. Uh, he he's the base of his project is like a concurrent campaign with various groups of players, and that includes a, a Kickstarter. Yeah, so he had a Kickstarter where. It's like a hundred different people or something could make different parts of this world, this big map. And the more you paid, so the more detailed uh, entry you got into the map. So if you paid, I don't know the prices, but for argument's sake, let's say there's like a $500 buy-in and a $100 buy-in. The $500 buy-in, you'd get like a fully like architecturally like down to the um, like floor plan, down to like tech drawings version of your building and stuff put into the map. And then if you paid for less, you sort of had like a name and a story. But what's cool about it is uh, he did that. And now he's turned it into this sort of living world that you, as players you play through, but he's also running like three other campaigns. And then he's got other GMs running their campaigns and it's all in this one world. And all the GMs compare notes, make sure people aren't um, rewriting history the, uh, in different ways, which it must be hard to do. But he's got this giant map and like every building in like this big city has its own law. And outside of that, there's the world, which also has different things going on. And yeah, it was just really cool. Um. We went over to talk to him and he sort of laid out this map. I was like, oh, that's a massive map. And just like his knowledge of like what was in each building was also ridiculously impressive. Yeah, it feels like this world exists in his mind, ready to go at all times. I I definitely agree. And that would be so hard for me to do. (laughs) I don't know how he keeps track of it, but that is, uh, I guess part of it is how good he is at taking notes. Um, he might just have like one of those eidetic memory things might not be taking notes yeah I mean as we were playing he was sketching the rooms we were like he was drawing the floor plan of the the building as we explored it with a label attached to the world map so that he could refer to it later so we were in I want to say 76 or 96 maybe 79 79 there we go so um, he had this notebook full of presumably all of these other buildings other people had explored that is effectively like being recorded into the history of the world at the same time as it's being documented as a tabletop game which I, I just I couldn't manage it but I, I think he pulls that off very well I definitely couldn't manage it um, going further than that so that that's what he did for us. But he was talking to us about how his world's developed, how the Pantheon has developed. 
So there was like kind of kind of like this original pantheon, and there was these two groups, and they found two different artifacts, like two different actual role playing groups. Like he was GMing one, he was GMing another. Two groups, separate groups of like four or five people. They both found this artifact. One group contacted the other group outside of the games, being like, "Hey, we found this artifact, and we want to worship this uh, evil person and sort of bring power back to them as a god." And the other group was like, oh, that sounds really cool. So both of those groups worked towards that without his knowledge. And it got to a point where he's like, oh, well, if you put them both together, yeah, that's going to like make this God super powerful. Um, and that sort of began the, these two groups began like the evil part of the world where evil has a chance to win, I guess. Yeah. Well, as I understand it, those groups inadvertently caused a zombie apocalypse and the setting he's running now with this living world is the zombie apocalypse setting. It's like less zombie apocalypse and more, what was it? Um, like the, there's like these, blood rain. Yeah. Blood rain. That's right. And that's what he's sort of maybe calling the game. Yeah. The working title is, is blood. Yeah. Rain, working title's blood rain. Anyway. Um, yeah. There's like these blood monsters that sort of take over. Oh, he he did call them zombies, to be fair, and it's definitely a departure he, from your stereotypical zombie, but sort of zombie yeah, apocalypse. I just don't want it to like come across that he's just made it like a zombie thing because no, no, it was no, definitely no. like so much cooler than that. It's a lot more than that. It is a lot cooler than that for sure. So yeah, like these blood things go into a person and kill off the host. So then they haven't died. They just don't have their mind anymore. And like the way they behave in a horde mentality, yes, is zombie-like, but like the situation around how they became like that isn't the sort of undead uh, necropolis yeah. that was the, that's the usual. The monster itself is is very intriguing. The way these monsters work and the way he explained it was enthralling. Um, I think. I like that it still has that. It still has the originality and the monsters while kind of riffing on the known, the way what we expect from a, a zombie story. It, I think, has, yeah, I think, it has enough to be tethered to what people sort of expect from that story. But then yeah, it, it definitely had enough. interesting creative. Yeah, it definitely had enough that we could be, we could pick up and go with that idea while he was mm. explaining more and we could be like, oh, that's cool. That's different. Yeah. But yeah. I, I know what to expect when I go into a house. Yeah, like you're in a you're in a walled city, and outside the walls are vaguely zombie-like creatures who will kill you, who will take over your body. It's sort of um, an an interesting take on the trope. But yeah, I I think that's it in general. Even the way sort of fantasy is done there is done in a very interesting way. Yeah, the fantasy of the world's really cool. Um, so he was GMing like 80 people, not him, sorry. There was like 80 people going at one point, like the high before COVID, and they're trying to start it back up again now. Um, but with that, they had the two groups that created the evil thing, and then the, all these other groups were trying to wall off the city. So there's like this attack on Titan, like 80-foot thick wall around the city being built up by all these other groups. So there's these groups working towards building up this wall. There's these groups working to tear it down. And it's like a PvP RPG massive world thing. It's really cool. Yeah, it's actually amazing how alive it feels. Um, I, we played in it for, I don't know, an hour. And we played, yeah, we played an hour. Um, 
and I'll get to our session and we'll, we'll go over what it was like to actually play in it um, in a sec, but I think, I think that's a good explanation of like the law of the world, the law of this TTRPG that I hope is coming out soon. I would love, I don't know if it'll scale to like worldwide, but if like big groups of people can run this, that would be really cool. And I, yeah, I think it, it was just really fun and I could see like bigger groups of people having like multiple GMs and friends and stuff running over different things being really cool. Yeah. Um, it actually reminded me a little bit of uh, how Games Workshop does the Warhammer story campaigns um, when he was talking about expanding. I don't know if you've – do you have any experience with those? None at all. Okay. So um, for those who haven't even played Warhammer, perhaps it's a tabletop war game um, where each player controls an army. Um, and it has it has a huge, very rich backstory, very rich lore. And each edition of the game, that lore remains mostly stagnant. And sometimes, typically, well, often it, between the generations, between the editions of the game, um, they run these big story campaigns worldwide at their stores. So it's like official tournament games. Um, and the outcome of the story is determined by the outcome of these games that are played in store. So you That's have the amazing. forces of good and the forces of evil and whoever, it, it boils down effectively to whoever wins the most games for the most part. So it's not extremely complicated, but um, it can dramatically shift the tide of the story. Uh, and I think that, that as a kid, that blew my mind. And this finding out about something like this, which takes that to like 11, just tickles my imagination in a really fun way. I'd love to see yeah, more of that kind of stuff, like for other types of stories. <clears throat> but anyway, we'll get into sort of what what was playing in this world. Like, I think it like it was pretty intimidating when I first looked at the sheet because there was like numbers on like every single possible, like the lower shin, the up the thigh, the uh, knees, shoulders. And I was like, oh, this is gonna be like real complicated. But it wasn't actually that bad. Um, it was just like, if you get damaged in a certain area, like you might not be able to use that area. And the sheet was really well designed. And it sort of, as soon as I was explained how it worked, I had no more questions. I wasn't confused. I was like, all right, I know exactly what's on my sheet. I know what, what, what to roll. Um, it was actually pretty easy. Yeah. And everything in action for the first time made perfect sense. Yeah. And I, for how confusing the sheet looked, um, and we can't show photos or anything because this is still in development. And um, as much as we'd like to, we've only got stuff that we can use as notes so we can talk about it. But that's fine. Um, as soon as there's some, I think as soon as like this gets released, I'd love to do an interview with him. I think that would be fantastic. He, he, um, I'm sure he'd be, he'd have a lot to say about it. Oh yeah, to our interview. Um, but yeah, so. What I what I th think this game really does well is it's very gritty and I don't want to say punishing because I don't think that's the right word, but it was very like your actions had consequences and he let you know that beforehand. He you would be like, oh, I want to do this. He's like, that's that's extremely dangerous. You want to do it? And like 
yeah. for role playing purposes, you can be like, no, like my character would do the stupid thing or like oh, do absolutely. the the brave but definitely stupid, dangerous thing. So I, th- I think that's that's really cool. Um, and like if you if you were to get hit. It's like you and the enemies both are big hitters and low healthers, essentially. So you get hit. Um, let's say you get hit in your neck. That might just like incapacitate you or get you taken over by one of these blood rain things. Um, you could get your arm chopped off. Uh, you could get your knees buckled so you're like crawling on the ground. You essentially roll two hit and you hit the player. Then you find out where you hit them. And there was just, you roll a dice, it's one to 12. I think like on a one, you hit their head, which is like, you know, hard because at one D 12, that's one in 12, you're going to hit their head. And then like the torso was like four, five, six, so on. So um, the bell curve, which is more numbers, you're going to hit those bigger, chunkier areas of the yeah. um, player. And, and, and that system character. carries that dice system carries over the entire engine. So I, I was really excited about the way the 2D12 system worked, I think. Um, I really liked it. So he had, it's, it's sort of story, it's story driven in the sense that uh, the ones were functionally successes, right? You're, you're trying to roll you're trying to roll below your your stat for whatever yeah so the higher your stat gets it's not a plus you essentially if you've got a 10 in charisma um that's pretty low and you you roll 2d12 and you have to roll under your stat to sort of succeed so if you've got a 10 you're rolling 2d12 that's hard yeah yeah and so you want your stat to be high so that there are more numbers underneath it to roll yep um but the, I guess, look, the closest comparison is the 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 critical the critical hit, where on a one, um, that's a critical success, and you are able to describe to the the game master what that critical success looks like to you. Um, a twelve is a critical failure, and the game master describes to you what the critical failure is like. That was a very enjoyable system yeah it so what was it 10 imaginative and it 10 and 11 was a minor failure where you describe something bad but a 12 was yeah. a major failure where the gm yeah. describes something bad mm-hmm. and there's the same applies to success which i thought so I was think, yeah very fun uh, oh, it lets you good. flex your creative muscles lets the game master also torture you if you roll particularly badly so my character had a spell called burn and like i i rolled a 12 and i was trying to hit this creature on a bed i completely missed him but my 12 means he gets to say something happened so he's like oh yeah like you like hit that bed like all the like the old dusty uh mattress and cool cover whatever like just like lights up in flames so there's just this uh flaming bed in the room um which we're like well we can't let the house burn on fire so we threw the bed out the window uh which will come up later and that that was cool. On the other hand, I also got a one earlier and we're finding again like a zombie creature that wasn't a zombie. But for my one, I was like, well, I'm trying to hit him and hit him in the legs. So I want to like hit him in the back of the knees so he like falls over. And that was like a zombie that was trying to grab you or already was grabbing you. So that helped you out. Yeah. Yeah. You can sort of um, channel 
the narrative of, of combat even in a way that uh, helps you in the case of successes and, and hinders you in the case of failures. Um, and I think that you're, what you're saying is right. That definitely lent itself very well to teamwork because on those successes you could say, well, I have an opportunity here for my success to help somebody else. Let's say that this happens, which, so, which I thought was nice. Yeah, it was really good. I think we had a moment where you rolled a crit and you hit the thing's head off and its head still like becomes an enemy without its body. And yeah, we did this I, like, sort um, of baseball move and then we are playing with my partner, Caitlin, and she like tried to baseball hit hit the head as it was flying to her and she like completely missed. It was really funny. Yeah, really, yeah I, like, I it just ripped its heart out on a crit and its heart that's became right. sentient. For how, many, for how stat heavy it was, it created story so well. Very, very quickly and easily, yeah. Yeah, like I don't want to undersell how good this guy was at GMing either. Like in an hour, I felt like that was probably one of the more story-filled game sessions I've I've had by playing with someone in a long time. Yeah, and it's a nice combination of the players being in control and the game master being in control, I think. I felt in control when I wanted to be, but I also felt like the story was being driven around me, which you don't always get in some of these tabletop games, I think. They're sometimes leans too hard one way. Exactly. So we'll um, we'll tie this up a bit now, but... Uh, yeah, the session the session ended, and how that ended was we all died, and we we sort of haunt that house now. So when his next players go in, they were probably going to see our players. Like the next session in uh, Avcon, um, those players were going to see our. We were going to be the NPCs because we died in that house to this zombie thing. Yeah, I really um, hope we can find out what happened in that specific game later. I'm after definitely going to ask him when I get to talk to him. But also, like those players, the first thing they're immediately going to see when they walk down the road is like, there's a bed that is burnt out on the road. Cause we threw the bed out of the window. So that the first thing they walk, they're going to see walking out this rich part of the city is why is there a fl- like a burnt out bed on the road? And it, it, all that story ties in to lots of people. And that gets added to like the, almost like the database that they have through, through GMs. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it is nice to feel part of that world and we might never find out. I mean, we can ask him, but not everyone will be able to do that. And to know that your story lives on and other people will experience that same world that your characters lived in, in our case, died in. Um, even if you never find out, even if you never know what happens again, you, you played some part in that. And I think that's a, that's the kind of feeling that I, the tabletop RPGs, I really made yeah, it. It was a really good feeling. Nice. So that was Blood Rain, Dungeon World, name to come. Not sure. We will <laughs> we will be doing another episode on this. We will find out more. We we will get get you, the the listeners, the scoop on this. Yeah, definitely. Now, for what's coming up next? This game called Floodlands. Um I sort of walked in. I just saw an interesting game. I was like, oh, I want to play that. And I've seen many board games before. So this is, this is a board game, sort of a board game. Um, it's a board slash art game. And it was on a hex, hex system. Every time you start a game, you have these sheets that you hand out to each player. Each player has 
uh, it was like a hex grid that was in a hex that was like five wide or something. I can't remember. But you start from the center and you draw out from there. Uh, you roll a dice, you get this, you get these different areas. And instead of having like what I think more, most board games would do is having tiles that you can put down in your hexes and rotate them. In this, you got like a fishing, a house, a blacksmith, and you could select maybe two of those or three of those or four, depending on your dice roll, um, to draw on a tile. And if you got like two ocean, four land, and a fishing sort of thing, um, you had to draw four sides of that being land, two sides being ocean. You draw this how how you want in whatever shape you want, which I think is better than the tile because you might you might make the river on one side and the river on the other not actually connected. Whereas I just don't think tiles have that flexibility. No, the options are unlimited virtually. Yeah. And so they showed us a map at the end and like, it's crazy how these map generates. Like we, I think we played like a few rounds of it or I played a few rounds of it and how it worked. I think you were there watching and like, it was like really simple to understand and it was just really cool how it, how the map sort of generated itself. It was like this procedural generation, but you're doing the procedural generation. Yeah. It almost felt like a world building game in itself. I, I thought for a second, that's where we were going, but it is just, mm. it is a strategy game. It is a strategy game. So um, you have, there's three dice and you have a bell curve. So if you get like mostly ones at, or mostly sixes, like that's on the higher end of those bell curves and get the rarer buildings like the, I think that was like the blacksmith and the mill or something. And if you get those and put that, draw them next to your house tiles that like, let's say the houses give two points. Um, things higher on the bell curve give more just like solid points. So if you have a house next to a house, they both give one point, but it, when they're next to each other, they give an extra point. And with a hex grid, you know, you, you're sort of making all these connections. Now, if you put a blacksmith in the middle of them, everything, every house that the blacksmith is connected to generates five times its normal points. So if you've got a blacksmith next to a house that's next to a house, those houses are generating two because they're next to a house, but then they're generating five times as much because they're both next to a blacksmith. So you're making your houses that usually are worth one, worth 10. And once the, once the map's filled out, everyone like does their score. So I, th- yeah, I think it was just really cool. And because of the drawing aspect, one, everyone's map's going to look different because they draw differently. So that's really cool. But two, like the way that the sides that you draw these things on will matter. So you might have like bridges or rivers or the fishing spots on specific sides and you might get houses like, I wish I could build on that side, but I drew it on the other side. It just, it becomes like so dynamic and I can imagine that the, the strategy behind it gets really deep. Yeah, it was deceptively complex game i think um i think a lot of fun for people who like that sort of uh planning ahead like thinking ahead a few turns and considering your strategy and how you can box someone else in and how you can uh have like get this huge payoff six turns from now if all of your opponents do what you think they're going to do but also if you get the right stuff like you might be planning something but you 
I like that you get the options of what to pick, but you might be like, I just, I need a bridge. And you might just not get a bridge. So you have to work around that as well. Yeah, absolutely. So that's Fun cool. Again. Did you enjoy it? Did you, did you think it was, would you like to play more of that one? Uh, one, I would love to play more. Two, they did offer to uh, take us through a private game at a later date if we wanted to. Oh, beautiful. Um, so we are definitely going to do that. But Yeah, absolutely. Uh, they're, they're still working on it. They're going to have a Kickstarter at the end of the year, um, and I reckon we'll probably try and do an interview with them um, near then so we can well, show everyone what it's like. Um, I don't think you can play it online yet or, like, sorry, like find them online. It's called Floodlands. It's by Logic Engine. I think you can see like the advertising materials for it, but you'd have to go to like conventions and stuff because they're still in their playtest phase. I believe. I could be wrong. We'll link stuff in the show notes. Yeah, I think they were talking about organizing a Kickstarter as well. So that seems they definitely to be said upcoming. Kickstarter at the end of the year. Yeah, perfect. So yeah, <clears throat> as usual, we will link to everything we possibly can in regards to these games so you can find them. Yeah, we we looked at a lot of stuff on the day, so bear with us. <laughs> we have piles and piles of business cards to sift through. And with that note, I think it's time for us to have a small break. Yeah, see you on the other side. Hello and welcome back to Tabletop Treasures. What have we got? We have got a lovely little thing that we found at Avcon. So uh, we'll go on through. We started talking to this uh, artist named Anthony Christo. Uh, has lots of fantasy art, um, fantasy, surreal, landscape, like lots of cool stuff. Um, though we're not really here to talk about that. What he does have is a lot of world building within his art. So he also likes games and has made some card games and some board games and some tabletop supplements. So... Um, yeah, Ryan, what did, what did you think of all the stuff that he had? And because I think I think you were pretty impressed with like the the sheer volume of stuff. I cannot believe the breadth of his content. Um, on one hand, I can't believe it. On the other hand, extremely relatable because I think a lot of creative types just absolutely cannot help but have their fingers in everything. Um, and what stands out about him is he has dabbled in everything and succeeded, you know, has, has accomplished something in so many different areas. Um, he does have D and D books. He has, uh, paintings. He has, uh, he's working on board games, um, has done just about everything. Um, and all of it very impressive. Um, the standout for the role-playing stuff for me is, uh, he and I definitely share an interest in mythology. Um, and, you mentioned briefly the uh, the books he does um, that introduce elements of various mythos uh, and gives them role playing stats. Basically, um, that is he has the the latest one is about Chinese mythology, if I'm not mistaken. Um, yes. So in his luminous ages stuff, I think it's called the mythical creatures of the Beizai or the Bailey. Again, it's going to be in the show notes. We'll have a link, but yes, continue continue talking about it. Yeah. Um, I think the way he does that speaks to the way he does all of this sort of thing where um, 
he takes his interests and transforms them into something creative. Um, so he has this huge variety of uh, <laughs> these really interesting like, little monster manuals or, or bestiaries of uh, uh, mythological creatures to use in role-playing games. Yeah, so he didn't just have... The, the bestiary was kind of like the beasts of that mythical age. There was a campaign supplement that was to go with it for D&D 5e, I believe. Mm. I think there's even stat blocks for other systems for the mythical beast. Don't quote me on that. Um, I, I just remember sort of seeing something like that. But also in in their D&D book, because it's him and his friend that do it, he sort of does a lot of the art and world building, but his friend does all the technical rules stuff about it. But they also he also puts comics at the front of it. So like there's a you sort of get to read the story of the world before getting into all that that heavy stuff and that I believe is in the book, which is really cool. I think it's like the first issue and then you can get the rest of them uh separately. But it's a really cool intro into doing it that I have I don't think I've really seen done with tabletop supplements or books before because it's it's like a printed hardcover book. It was really nice looking. Yeah, the holographic cover, uh, really eye-catching. Very eye-catching. Um, what was I saying? Yeah, that's right. So it's like story, setting, creatures, and like playable races and classes and stuff because they um wasn't just creatures. It, well, semantics at this point when it comes to tabletop rules, right? There were creatures and there were non-humanoid player races that you could play, which I guess in the grand scheme of things are just creatures that you can play, right? Creatures with player stats, yeah. Yeah. So um, that's cool. So I, I've i seen things where like D&D or Pathfinder or Star Wars, they have like their tabletop and there's separate stories that you can get along with it, but like it all being condensed into you get this one book, you sort of get this glance into everything of the world is really cool. Mm-hmm. So I think like there, there could, there's definitely some really big opportunities for the world building and that type of thing. I think, especially like the the cross promotion between like if you get someone into the comic or get someone into the art or get someone into the tabletop, like you've got like this triangle of like getting into that. IP, I guess, which is basically what Marvel's trying to do, right? <laughs> yeah, just uh, uh, have everything. So, so he's he's tabletop supplement. Um, I had a great conversation with him about his career. Have not had a chance to delve as much into his specific tabletop works as I would like. Um, his comic, some of his tabletop work that shares. Are you saying that shares a universe? He's working yes. on that. That's intertwined. Um, at least some of his comics. So I know he has comics from the universe of what that book, like that supplement about, which is the Bayzai or the Bailey. I can't remember. Um, but there is comics for that. There is art for that. There is the tabletop for that. Um, he also had this board game, which was Cats versus Dragons, where Essentially, there's there's dragons. You try and capture them with armies, and cats are like the the rogues that like sabotage yeah, cats, other players. Cats are bastards. Was the impression I got? Which cats, is very true. The, the cats are like your army is a half filled glass of water on the side of a counter, <laughs> yeah. and the cat 
sneaks up while you're otherwise distracted and knocks it off the counter. You should give him but that. In it's a like board a game. tagline for it, yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, when you say a cat is a rogue, that that, that image of, like, my cat doing that 8,000 times in my life just floods to my head of, like, yeah, I could see them doing that. Yeah. Just, like, sneaking up and ruining someone's day. And, like, <laughs> th- like this is a tangent. I don't understand why my cat does it because I'm like, you know I'm going to yell at you and I'm going to be like, get down and, well, <laughs> that's as much as I can tell you to do because you don't understand English. <laughs> well, because they revel in it. They know you're telling them off and uh, they oh. find joy in how little they care. They're so human in that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's God. Psychopaths. Anyway. Yeah, so... Very, very good world building, and like, mm. yeah. Did you did you have like a quick rundown of like his career? Because he had like video games, traditional art, uh, yeah. like some TV stuff, concept art. Yeah. So I think look, something I really took from our conversation um, as a, as an inspirational tale almost is that you don't know until you try. Um, and he has basically spent his career giving things a go and putting his name out there and putting his work out there. Um, and he's found a lot of success doing that. Um, and yeah, he worked, he's obviously had his own solo projects. He's worked as an artist. He's worked on, uh, he's worked in film, um, and has, has achieved that by, by getting out there and emailing people and showing people his portfolio and saying, here's what I do let me know if you're interested um and i think that can apply to the tabletop sphere for sure i mean like if you're listening to this and you're out there creating for tabletop like if you want to be a creator if you want that to be a larger part of your life like put it out there take your work and show people and not everyone will listen but there might be people who do. And if you hadn't taken the chance and shown them, um, it might not have opened the doors, but it potentially will. And I, and that applies to, I think, all the creative arts and creative endeavours in general. Yeah, so, so, so I found that something like, I was like, oh, yeah, like this, seeing this very successful artist just take his passions and go full steam ahead. Um, yeah, I, I, I found that. Yeah, inspirational, I think. No, I definitely agree. Um, I think that's, you know, that's what we sort of did with this podcast. We were like, hey, this would be a <laughs> yeah. cool idea. And um, I think at the start it didn't really pick up much and, you know, it's been growing. And I, I think that's the same you can do for anything in life. I think a lot of people get not torn down but nervous that they're not succeeding straight away. Yeah. And I think, yeah, Anthony is a very good example of like, he's really put himself out there and worked for sort of the recognition and the content that he has. Yeah. Well, there's two things, isn't it? It's the persistence and not giving up just because you fail right away. Um, and then it's not being afraid of a failure that hasn't happened yet where people, and, and I'm guilty of this. And I think that's why I found my conversation with him so enlightening is not trying because you're afraid of the failure. 
Yeah, but I appreciate you try things all the time. <laughs> like podcasts. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I, th- I think that's something that resonates with a lot of artists. Um, especially, this was part of our conversation as well, a lot of artists trend introverted. Uh, it's absolutely not unusual. And uh, it's a group of people that can often find it hard to put themselves out there. And it's uh, people who can find it hard to spook themselves and say, hey, look at what mm. I'm doing. And I think he's, his huge success speaks to the benefits of, you know, being brave and putting yourself out there and saying, you know what, I've done this and I want people to see it. Maybe they'll like it, maybe they won't. But let's see what happens. Yeah, absolutely agree with, yeah, that sentiment, especially about, you know, trying to push yourself if you're introverted is very hard and you sort of won't know until you try. Fake it till you make it's another big one while we're doing platitudes. Oh, yeah, that's that's my whole life. I'm still faking it. <laughs> All right, well, I think I think that was that was a good uh, spread on that. We've got one more thing for today, and um, at the end of our day, we played. Um, you actually point. I was I wanted to pick something else, but you led me to this game called Fragged Empire, which is uh, it had a space squid on the poster. It had a space squid on, so naturally Ryan was uh, Ryan plays a space squid in our. Uh, I can't even remember the name. Um, Scum and villainy. The, Scum and villainy uh, tabletop that we play. So mm-hmm. it was funny. And then you Just picked the space squid character. Actually, no, they picked oh, the space squid yeah, character. They put it in front you. of me. They said, "Here, yeah, this like, seems like your kind of vibe." And yeah, I was this like, is, "This is Caitlin you." Lost her shit. Yeah, <laughs> it was really funny. Caitlin was like, "Oh, that's exactly his kind of vibe." Anyway, uh, Fragged Empire. Yeah, we sat down to play that. Um, Really, really cool uh, sci-fi. Lots of different worlds. Kind, kind of felt a bit Warhammerish, not in the Warhammer setting, but just the, there's a lot of different things and world building going on for these different races, worlds, places. Like they had a yes. lot fleshed out. It had some connections to Warhammer, um, you know, on a meta textual level as well. But sorry, continue. Um, yeah, it did have a lot of connections in that in that sort of thing. What I was really impressed with was the two people doing this. They they were from another state. They were, they came in to do this. Um, they work at their company, but like their knowledge of the the world and the product was like really amazing. Because I only found out afterwards that they they weren't the creators. They were just people that mm-hmm. worked there. Yeah, they were talking about it like it's the place they're from. Yeah, exactly. I I was just like, and like I I can do that for worlds that I'm into, mm-hmm. but it it was just. Like they they knew stuff with such conviction that I was just like, yeah. yeah so this is coming straight for you from your mind. You've done this, and then but they're like, oh yeah, the author would love to talk to you guys. And I was just like, isn't that you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had the same reaction actually. <laughs> so that was really cool. But yeah, um, they've also they've got essentially the universe is called fragged and then they've got like five different things. So there's like fragged empires, fragged, Eternium, fragged seas, fragged kingdom, which I think is the medieval one. Fragged kingdom was the medieval one. Yeah. Um, their medieval one is amazing because it's not medieval. It is one of the planets like is just so unevolved that it's medieval, but it's still in the sci-fi world. Yes. Which is, um, when I bring up, uh, Warhammer, there are, I'm not sure if it's still canon or if it ever were, but there were at least 
uh, fan theories that uh, the Warhammer fantasy world was taking place in the Warhammer 40k world concurrently, just separate. Um, I, I, I think, think that sort of thing is a lot of fun. Not because like the fantasy. So I actually know a little bit about Warhammer fantasy one, and there's like Go gods on. and stuff which wouldn't line up with the other stuff. The 40k. Not any. Not not anymore. But uh, the Chaos Pantheon, which is the primary gods, are identical for the most part. Um, I, I, I think you're right. I definitely think that's not the case now. They probably just took a lot of inspiration and people connected dots that they wanted to connect dots with. Yeah, perhaps so. Um, I, I just think <laughs> there's, a, there's, a lot of, uh, there's a lot of fun to leave, even if they're Easter eggs. I, I, I think oh, it's yeah. a cute idea. Um, I definitely think you can make it work. Yeah, back to Fragged Empire anyway. Um, this isn't the Warhammer podcast. We keep bringing it up, but it's not. Yeah, so what what did you think of... Um, we played Fragged Empire, which is the, the sci-fi one. Yeah. What did you think of that as a setting and the races and all that? Um, I think it wouldn't have necessarily mattered because of how strongly they presented it to us. Because they could have told me that it was a universe filled with sentient chickens, and I would have said, "Fuck yeah, this is awesome! This is sick, radical stuff." In their defense, in that universe, there could be sentient chickens. Like it was deep. There, there absolutely could. But, but because of how strongly they delivered it to us, I was like, "Oh yeah, yeah, this this makes total sense this is like learning about actual history or actual like we've just discovered an alien race and this is how they are well with how with how strongly that was portrayed to us you're very right because there were points where they were like oh you're playing this race and they're real like and the person like this is why i thought they were the author they'd be like oh you're playing this race and they're really cool because on their planet they do this and like Mm -hmm. if you do this and then that they're also cannibals but only some like they're just like Here's my law dump, and I'm really passionate about it. <laughs> it sounds like you're talking about something that actually exists, and I found it extremely convincing. Um, but separate to that, the law is very interesting, and the law is very strong. Um, clearly, very well thought out. Lots of it, um, but you can tell that they've been inspired by a huge variety of things. And I don't say that as a criticism. It's like if you're familiar with with those things and if you're familiar with science fiction and that sort of thing, it's almost like a nice nod to certain um, to certain other, not necessarily tropes, but ideas that have been explored before. And then they subvert a lot of those. They say, well, actually, because there were, there were several moments at the table where one of the other players or one of us would say, oh, so is it like this? And the person running the game would quite often be like, well, yes, but no, it's kind of like that, but then this happens, um, which is great. Like if you're a bit of a sci-fi nut, you have that. It's like, oh, there's, there's elements of this I expect, and some of those things are fulfilled, and then some of them are subverted in really like fun, interesting ways, like the the way the elf-like race works and their communal memories and their historical like generational memories and stuff like that you know it's a trope that exists in other media that has elf-like races but the way they've done it is its own thing and it's very interesting and it's you know a little bit subversive um and there's just there were just lots of little moments like that where sometimes i would expect 
a piece of law to go one way and it would, and then sometimes I would expect it to go that way and it would go in a completely different direction. So comfortable in a lot of ways, in a lot of science fiction ways, which I think for the most part you do want, and then in other ways just who knows what's going to happen. It, like like we were saying, could be chickens in space. you completely out of left field. So super fun universe. I think they've really mastered the – there's like a golden ratio of when you're making something, you want it to be 33% familiar, 33% um, new. Like there's, like there's three things. You want you only want to add like 33% of new stuff, like one-third new. So you want it to be new enough that people don't feel like they're not playing the same thing, but you want it to be familiar enough that they can link it to what they already know so it's not this like – they're studying a new language type of thing. Yeah, you need to tickle the familiarity zone in your brain. I think they did really and well with that. And then from there, you can, you can start introducing some different concepts. So how did and you feel? Did, uh, I thought they did. I haven't come across this in an RPG before, but the way they did challenge roles. The, the, the skill check system they were using? Yeah, the skill checks. With the group skill checks and you need majority success? Yes. Um. I again, it was very similar to Blood Rain, actually, not in the not mechanically, but I think the way it was executed, um, in that it felt relatively story driven for something with, that was so mechanically oriented. It was story driven, but in a way that, like, they they iterated like every time they like made it. And I was like. As a GM, it's not my job to tell you what to roll. It's your job to convince me why you should roll what you want to roll. Yeah, which is the contrast. You're calling out your roles. So every, so every time there's a skill check that involves your whole party, um, the game master presents you with the challenge and says, okay, there are six of you. Um, three of you need to succeed to accomplish this. Here's what the challenge is. Half round down, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. So in a group of, yeah, in a group of six, you, have, you need three successes in order to pass the check. Um, and then simply says, how, how are you going to do it? You tell me. What are you rolling and what does that role mean um, in a narrative sense? For an example, you, you have to convince the guard to let you through and you could use your convince check, um, but you could also be like, well, I'm really good at grenades, like plus four better than my convince, so I'm going to use grenades to convince me out of the way. Um Grenades isn't a skill. I think it's like tech or something, but you get the point. You're using grenades instead of this, and you could use it as like you throw them as a distraction or you threaten them like, hey, uh, like I- I've I've unlatched this. It's going to blow up unless you let me through. So you can use that skill instead. Like you convinced or created a scenario where that skill would apply to the situation. Yeah, and it opened up some really interesting possibilities because even one of our early skill checks was just landing the ship. Um, and in some games, well, that might just be the pilot's business. We'll leave them to it. But we got to see virtually every party member have their own input in somewhere or another, and they were completely different. Someone, I think my character was physically landing the ship with the ship's wheel, but other people were doing programming skills. Other people were attempting to motivate the characters. Other people were attempting to... Yeah, that was my character. So my character was like really good at leadership and I was just like, I give a really inspiring speech of why everyone should do their jobs properly. Mm-hmm. And and someone else was attempting to intimidate the uh, the people on the planet who were threatening to not let us land to begin with. So 
that one challenge, which was just landing the ship, became something everyone's character could participate in, um, which I think is a real strength of this system. I gave a really inspiring speech of why coming back into the office is uh, the way to go. In real life would have rolled extremely poorly, I think. Uh, it's an automatic fail, but... <laughs> <laughs> you can't even roll for it. No it's one not a big will fan. be convinced by that. It's like telling the GM, like, "Oh, I, I become god." Yeah, like I, I, I want to roll to become god, to and they're like, "Abdicate, sure thing, buddy." Yeah, that'll be a roll of two thousand. So, yeah, that's fragged empire, and it is amazing. Um, I, I yeah, really it enjoyed it. Fun. It was a lot of fun. Um, so we, we will definitely have links. I, you know, I was really tempted to buy a book on the spot, but I was like, oh, I probably shouldn't. <laughs> you get carried away. Um, it's so easy. It's like, I had a lot of fun. I'm going to buy everything, but sometimes you need to go home and think about it. Um, but yeah, I would definitely recommend it, to be honest, if you if you want a sci-fi role-playing game. If you want a sci-fi thing, I think it's really good. If you want a world that has some really cool new ip that like i i don't think you've sort of ever seen before like i can see that in like 10 years they might have that ip really built out and maybe get into some other forms like stories movies tv shows maybe like it definitely has the world building behind i think it. the world has the potential yeah so i, th- I think that's really cool but yeah other than that i think um no, that was our afcon experience and looking forward to doing more of this type of thing of where we get to sample a lot of new things we've never tried before. Yeah, I think it'll be fun to start checking those out more often and playing all these little indie creators games, talking about those. I very much agree. All right. Uh, Send us on our way, Ryan. All right. Um, You can find us in places as you usually do. We're on Instagram now at... uh, God, I don't even remember what we wound up actually getting. We both signed up at the same time and took each other's name. All right, um, so we're Tabletop Treasures Pod, or we at least will is that be. official now? Yeah, we will get there in the end. Other places are Tabletop Treasures Pod or TTRPG Treasures. Yeah, Tabletop Treasures Pod on email, uh, TikTok, Instagram, and TTRPG Treasures on Twitter. Yeah, the important thing is those will be in the show notes for you to click on. Absolutely. And and as always, go get that treasure.